0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Intelligence Download, an unusual episode. Um, My name is Paul Middleton. I work for BA Systems Applied Intelligence. Uh, We're coming to you today from all of our respective home offices from around the globe uh, in dual locations here. Uh, We're sort of, it's the first podcast uh, in the midst of this whole COVID-19 outbreak. Um, So we're remotely joined by uh, Tony DiPaolo, Executive Director of Massachusetts Insurance Fraud Bureau, and our very own Dennis Toomey, Global Director of, uh, for Counter Fraud and Analytics here at BA Systems uh, Applied Intelligence. And he'll be acting as one of our, our panelists and interviewer today. Uh, so, welcome, guys. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so to give a little bit of background uh, to you, Tony, I've uh, really kindly written up this um, this wonderful intro, which I hope to give all the listeners uh, an idea of your experience. Um, so the Massachusetts Insurance Fraud Bureau was formed in 1991 after the passage of enabling legislation. Uh, it's been recognised as one of the leading fraud bureaus in the nation. Uh, it's funded by an assessment against the insurance industry requiring no taxpayer dollars. Uh, Staff investigate and assist in uh, preparing criminal prosecutions of insurance fraud in cooperation with the US Attorney, the Massachusetts Attorney General and the various district attorneys around the state. Uh, Mr DiPaolo joined the IFB in 1992 and has uh, been the Vice President, uh, Chief of Investigation since 2006. Uh, He oversaw all investigative activities of the IFB, including satellite CIFI offices, and is credited with developing and managing the IFB's Premium Fraud Unit since its inception uh, in 1994. Uh, in March 2019, he was promoted to the position of Deputy Executive Director, and on March the 1st, 2020, uh, he was promoted to Executive Director. Uh, prior to joining the IFB, uh, Mr DePaolo was with the US Air Force for 10 years as a Special Agent in the Office of Special Investigations, concentrating on Fraud Investigations. Uh, He has an extensive experience in developing fraud detection programs and earned his Bachelor of Science degree in uh, Criminal Justice from Wilmington College and his Masters of Science degree in Criminal Justice from Northeastern University. Since 1996, he's been an adjunct instructor at Northeastern University in their criminal justice program, teaching courses on white collar crime and criminal investigations. Uh, He's a frequent speaker on a variety of insurance fraud topics uh, and is a member of the National Association of Certified Fraud Examiners. And he is with us today. So thank you very much for taking the time uh, to talk to us. Uh, And uh, after that rather great build up, I'm going to hand over to Dennis. Uh, Take it away.
1: All right. Thanks, Paul. I really appreciate it. And first and foremost, Tony, thank you so much for your time. And um, and congratulations on your recent promotion. Definitely well deserved. Everything that you've done over the past um, 20 years in that organization is amazing. And I think the state of Massachusetts is um, very lucky to have someone in your position with your personality and your experience to be leading them the way you are right now. So I think, you know, the overview gave kind of a brief, um, and it didn't do really the IFB justice. And I just want to tap into that a little bit more, just so the people that aren't familiar with the Massachusetts insurance fraud Bureau, um, who you are. I know you have some amazing people that work really hard to help the insurance industry fight fraud and I you was know, just wondering, you know, first, can you you know, kind of give us an overview of how your organization is structured and organized and maybe give us a definition of of what the Sci-Fi or CIFI offices are and how they're operating in the state of Massachusetts.
2: Sure. Uh, But first, uh, I wanted to thank you and Paul for uh, for having me. Uh, I
1: greatly appreciate
2: that and the kind words that both of you have expressed. Uh, It is... very much appreciated and again, it's an honor to be with you this, uh, today. The um, I guess the one thing first I would like to start off with is that the, the Insurance Fraud Bureau of Massachusetts was when it was created, we were created by state statute and the reason that is important is, is that uh, we are not like any other fraud bureau in the country. Even though we, most fraud bureaus are created in some form of a statute or created within a state organization here in Massachusetts, we are created by statute. We only conduct criminal investigations, but we are privately funded as Paul had said earlier by ass- uh, assessments to the industry. 50% come from the workers' comp insurance carriers. The other 50% come from the auto- automobile insurance carriers. However, the statute does say that we investigate all lines of insurance, and as just to make sure that this point is well taken, is that we only do criminal investigations. Uh, We get referrals from mainly from the insurance industry, Um, but that we also have a 1-800 hotline number system set up. We get a lot of referrals through that. We get a lot of referrals from uh, local law enforcement uh, prosecutors. Uh, that are working in the state that know of our existence will also get us involved in some of their cases that they're looking at, that they think that we, that there's an insurance fraud component that we can assist with. Now, the other part of that, even though we're created by state statute, we are not what you would say, uh, or I often say, is we are not traditional law enforcement. We are not badge carrying, gun carrying type law enforcement uh, at all. Um, but that shouldn't I hate to see that fool anybody, because in the in the statute that created us, we have probably more authority or access to more information than traditional law enforcement does. Like typical law enforcement does have access to somebody's criminal history, someone's driver license history, their registry uh, or vehicle registration histories. Uh, but the Fraud Bureau, in, in addition to those systems, has access to tax records at an individual and in a business, unemployment systems records, uh, including claimant information, business information, um, welfare information, um, j- just to name a few. So our ability to get access to information is well beyond the, uh, the access that the traditional law enforcement would have. We also, um, where other fraud bureaus in the country tend to work with are sometimes limited in their, who they're working with. And when I say with, I mean, prosecutors, usually they may work with just an attorney general office or with a local DA office. Um, Here in Massachusetts, I am proud to say that we work with all three levels of prosecution. Uh, We have had cases that we work with the uh, federal at the US attorney's office. We partner with the FBI and IRS postal inspectors to name a few on a number of cases. We also work a lot of cases with the attorney general's office uh, and with local district attorney's offices uh, throughout the state. Um, And that is probably, um, and that's where it gets to how we got into the sci-fi program. Sci-fi program, C-I-F-I, or as we call it in-house, the task force, is a program that was developed uh, over 15 years ago as a result of a staged auto accident in the northern part of the state uh, in the city of Lawrence. Uh, It's the northeast corner of the state of Massachusetts. There was uh, uh, an individual, a grandmother, who was actually helping to set up a staged auto accident. She was actually killed in that staged auto accident, and the local district attorney, and the local police chief reached out to the Fraud Bureau to help with the assistance of that matter, and we quickly uh, that helped us open or opened the door for us to get to get fully involved in uh, in those type of staged auto accidents. To we were already investigating them, but this really opened up an umbrella to actually dig into that. And what we did is we started to track information. From our, one of our sister organizations, the Automobile Insurers Bureau was tracking the uh, the amount of bodily injury claims that would happen in a particular community. And Lawrence, at that time, was in excess of uh, for every hundred accidents, they had more over a hundred. I think it was some the number is somewhere around 140 bodily injury claims for every 100 accidents the state average was somewhere in the range of 45 to 50 at the time. So once we saw that, we dug into that, and then we went around the state with meeting with local district attorneys and law enforcement officials in communities where the bodily injury claim was excessively high. And since that program started, as I said, well over 15 years ago, we've seen a significant decrease in uh, staged auto accidents. Has been a significant decrease in the amount of uh, of claims that are having to be paid by the industry on uh, that we believe are basically phony, fraudulent type claims, and that obviously generates a lower premium for individuals who have to pay uh, auto insurance in the state of Massachusetts. The one other point I did want to make about the statute that uh, does. Carry a lot of weight here with insurers throughout the uh, state of Massachusetts is is there is a uh, statutory um, immunity if a, if a carrier does refer a matter to us for fraud uh, they do get immunity from that for for the and it's tied to the statute. Um, I could keep going on. Do you want me continue to go on with the staff, Dennis, or or that that's because that's a mouthful. I think I've said so far.
1: No, I think it's great, Tony. I think it's it's really it's really good information, and it's it's um, interesting to me. Um, I've actually had some experience with you in the cases that you've done um, over the years. Uh, um, when I was with an insurance carrier in Massachusetts, um, the, yes. The side the side program is like um, in law enforcement world, they refer to it as community policing, and that's kind of the model that you guys are following. Is that what I understand?
2: Yeah, uh, I. Yeah, we've, we followed it maybe in the sense of community. It was more of prior to this event, the typical insurance fraud investigation with the Fraud Bureau in Massachusetts was to investigate the case. The case would get referred to, um, most of them were being referred at that time to the Attorney General's Office. There were some cases being referred to the U.S. Attorney's Office at the federal level Uh but majority of them were going to the attorney general's office. And at that time we had, uh, about 20 to 25 investigators. So there was a lot of investigators sending a lot of cases to the attorney general's office. And there was a, you know, basically they were somewhat being overwhelmed with the number of cases. Then when this event happened, Uh, it really opened another avenue for prosecutions, uh, for us to take this, this type of auto issue directly to the local district attorney, partnering with the local law enforcement in that particular community. We could all work directly together, uh, and we put investigators right in those communities, um, some some of them have you know there was two three four investigators in different communities that would work directly with that with the local police department and that worked out to be uh really fantastic uh for everybody involved for the uh for you know for the insureds you know the people who were paying the insurance bill insurance companies um for us, for getting uh, our cases out there and making sure they're getting prosecuted, it was it really opened up a door that uh, hadn't been opened before.
1: Yeah, I think that's great. I mean, and the statistics speak for themselves and the impact that that program has had. So, congratulations on that too. Um, Thank you. Just real quick, and you know, and you have some really, really amazing people that are working hard. Like I said in the introduction, um, to help the carriers fight insurance fraud and to deter the insurance fraud from happening in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. Maybe you could just kind of talk about how your organization is structured before we jump into the sure. need of the uh, um, podcast. Sure.
2: Um, when I first started in '92, you. You know, investigate. You know, people were hired to be investigators. To, to um, a lot of them had more towards a law enforcement type experience, um, and and it didn't. And you worked everything. You, you could you could have an auto case, a workers' comp claimant case, a homeowner's case, a workers' comp premium fraud case. Um, it, it didn't. It didn't matter. They were, you know, in. They just were farmed out, whatever the next case on the shelf that needed to get worked, that's the way it went. Um, As we started to move forward with the first one being really uh, premium fraud, workers' comp premium fraud, we started to notice that um, if you could get people who had a certain kind of skill set into a particular type of fraud, maybe they were more attuned with that, more comfortable with that, um, we were much more successful, and, and as time's gone on, and then when I became chief of investigations, we really pu- I started to push that we created units so that people could specialize long term. We found that uh, if they're specialized like a, in a type of case, they're much more successful over in you know long term. Now that success is created, we have a provider fraud unit. They work on medical uh, medical issues, ring activity with lawyer, doctor type of um, you know cases. We have our workers comp unit who specialize um, in premium fraud and claimant fraud. Most of the cases though tend to be uh, premium fraud that they work. We have this. We have the sci-fi's. Uh, we put people smack dab into the communities where uh, you know too in the early days the office was in Boston and then after a few years we set up an office in Springfield Mass which is in the western part of our state but as we sci-fi program or the task force program started to develop we actually set up small offices throughout the state sitting sometimes in police in the police department that the community we're working with sometimes in insurance company offices where were giving us office space for us to work um, and then we had, so as it and then we took our analyst unit. Our analyst, uh, we brought in a whole team of analysts to help support the investigations. And then uh, we had, uh, if an investigator didn't fit in one of those particular units, the three units that I had just mentioned, uh, we had a we had a general unit, sort of like a catch-all. Um, they sat in Boston and would work uh, any case that didn't fit, wasn't comp, wasn't a provider, or wasn't a sci-fi case. They work that case, so long, long story short, we found that if you tend to get people specialized in certain types of investigations, they tend to learn the skill set very quickly, they're able to move the cases much faster, and then they can explain it and work with a prosecutor uh, and make that that relationship enhance that relationship.
1: Yeah, no, so I mean that that seems to be a, a really well thought out organized structure um that really suits the needs of the commonwealth but i was also saying that i think you have a really strong analytical unit that does the link analysis the data crunching to support those teams that you just mentioned is that right
2: yes they do the uh the analyst we have a we have a team of analysts that will actually support the invest the usually on the make bigger investigations like your uh, provider, your pre- workers' comp premium cases, they definitely uh, support those investigations. That's where most of the cases they support. Occasionally, we'll have some uh, body shop cases um, that they get involved in, some agent fraud cases that they get involved in. But most of the time, it's provider and premium. You know, like if you're talking about a workers' comp premium case, they're going to have to recreate the payroll. You know, the information we gather to know what the payroll really is. Or on a provider case they're going to go through uh, all the billing records to uh, to match up what has actually been billed for and uh help to build the evidence for that case so it can get successfully prosecuted i i should say uh, if i could is that the staff today has a wide range of experiences we have uh, we have some um former federal special agents on board with us like from the IRS. We have some formal law enforcement uh, on staff with us. We have uh, some former um, from SIU investigators. And about five, six years ago, we started our own little, uh, I say little in the sense that it was, uh, we don't have a huge number of them, but we have our, we did our own homegrown trainee program that we will bring people in, uh, with limited experience, and we put them through what we think would m- training that would make them uh, to be a successful investigator for the Fraud Bureau. So we, so we have a wide range of experiences with with people for the program.
1: Yeah. Wow. Sounds good. So, you know, this is. Um, I I just want to kind of jump into it just for the sake of time, and and I want to respect your time though. Um, this is really a unique time in history with this um, COVID-19 virus that's going on, you know, and I'm sure there's a lot of unknowns that maybe you can share with us that are going on out there in the insurance fraud world. But, you know, how is the ISD operating and still, be, well, still being socially responsible and um, working remotely in these unprecedented times?
2: Well, that it is. It is unprecedented times uh, that you you know, you hear that a lot, but it is, um, we're having to, uh, back on March 18th, we put all our investigators, uh, working from their home, uh, to, uh, deal with the social distancing and to keep them, uh, at you know, away from harm. Um, uh, so we actually asked the investigators to, uh, stop actively uh well that's probably a mistake poor choice of words on my part but we wanted them to go back through their inventory of cases to see exactly what cases we have if uh and so that we can continue to keep working however the obviously i said at the very beginning we're here to do criminal work so to get criminal work that means you're going to send cases to prosecutors well the court systems in massachusetts has pretty much stopped, um, that put a hold on it. And, and courts are really only open for emergency kinds of cases and the grand jury investigations are kind of somewhat on a hold cause you can't have uh, a large group of people together cause the social distancing and not spreading the virus. So basically the big, the big thing is, is we're having to do everything, um, virtual, um, it's working. Uh, we are in week three. Uh, so far, so good. Um, investigators are working cases. Cases are getting done. Um, that is, that is for sure. Because I am, you because know, we see, I see that all the time. Our case management system lets me know that people are working and they're actively working. So.
1: Yeah. So, do you anticipate a huge? Um, backlog in the court systems on insurance fraud and do you think that um or or are the the way that you're organized with the attorney general's office and the US attorney's office um able to handle some insurance fraud when we come out of this? Do you think there's gonna be a huge spike in prosecutions or do you think that it's just gonna slowly but surely um pick up as normal? Probably a question because you don't know. I mean, it's, you don't know what to expect. Yeah, no, right? no,
2: it's it's hard to know for sure. It is hard. It is hard to know for sure. Will we have a huge spike, or will it level off? Um, this is something that nobody has ever experienced before. Um, I do think, from what I am hearing from different folks in the uh, in the insurance industry, that they are seeing some spikes. They're Seeing some spikes in the property area where you have. Uh, you know some claims of you know, jewelry losses. You have business interruption claims with water damage, food spoilage. Um, some companies are seeing an increase in workers' comp claims. So uh, I do think you're gonna you're gonna see that kind of activity. Uh, there'll, there'll be some form of an increase. Uh, that is for sure. Now, how that plays out, Rod? Right? Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Dennis. Sorry.
1: No, no, no. I was just saying that's interesting. Didn't mean to interrupt you. No. Uh, uh,
2: and on the other side, though, is, is right now, our current system, we have not seen a significant uh, increase uh, in our referrals as of yet. Um, it is, And that's the way the system's supposed to work, though. So I'm not overly shocked by that. Should we be seeing more or should we see less? I'm not. Surprised by that because, too, everybody is, you know, especially here in the New England area uh, or definitely in the East Coast, is working from home. So, there's going to be, I think, the initial lull of activity of people trying to get adjusted to that home working environment. And then you're going to see a rise up when people start getting back to actually working, uh, getting settled in there, working from home home mode that, I think then we're going to start to see increases in referrals starting to come up. But we have not seen a decline, but we also haven't seen a significant rise uh, in in the system, in the information that we're, we are definitely directly receiving.
1: Yeah, and that, that aligns with some of the other economic downturns that we've seen in the past. I think in 2008, there was a little bit of lag before the referrals started to spike. And I think there's a study done by um, the Division of Insurance In Florida, that showed like a 21% increase in referrals um, when they started coming out of the economic downturn. You know, people are trying to survive right now and they're not focused on, for the most part, scamming the insurance industry, although some of the reports are showing, you know, that there's a lot of different types of scams that are coming out. But I think the key point there is that if people are in desperate times or people are um considering doing insurance fraud, they should probably think twice about it because I think it's punishable under both state and federal laws. And if they're thinking about taking advantage of this situation in Massachusetts, you know, they probably should think twice because you guys have time on your side, right? there's, there's a five to six year statute of limitations to prosecute people that decide to cross that line. Oh, that's for sure. That,
2: that you know, this isn't uh, insurance fraud. I guess if you want to look at it, it is, it's more of a mar- marathon. Yeah, the scammer can probably try to hit the insurance company and maybe initially think that they won because they got a payment. However, uh, long term, time is on the fraud bureau side. Uh, I got a high-level professional group of people who are, are going to be aggressive about the cases we work. We have time on our side, as you said. We have five and six year statutes and limitations. Um, You you can run, but you can't hide. Um, That is for sure. And the one thing I did want to add on one point you had made, uh, Dennis, is is that I do think where right now where you have an uh, economic stimulus package being put out, uh, people are trying to, you know, Federal and state governments are trying to support people and take care of people who may get laid off from their uh, from their jobs. Um, and the court systems being put somewhat on a pause for right now, uh, even here in Massachusetts, they talk about, you know, there's no, invic- no evictions. Um, all, the, all those court systems being on hold, no, no one can really do anything so, um, no foreclosures, nothing like that. That is all being on on somewhat on a pause or a hold. So that, in turn, I think kind of pushes uh, fraud to the insurance industry off a little bit. You know, even like with car loans, they're not going to repossess cars and all that sort of put on a hold. So people can go ahead and still use the you know stay in their homes, use their cars. And there's no direct financial impact immediately. That may be somewhere down the road here that we then see it after when we start to come back from all this. And uh, so it's it's just a it's probably just a matter of time.
1: Hmm. That's interesting. You know, I never thought about the stingless package that's being put out as a um, fraud deterrent almost because they're allowing people, you know, to get through the economic downturn and and still maintain their standard of living that they currently have without any repercussions from the financial industry. That's, that's, that's interesting way of looking at it too. You know, I think that that brings up another point too, you know, I think if, if people in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts or anywhere in the world are, are, are considering doing fraud, like I said, they should probably think twice about it, but I think the carriers are, are so empathetic and very um, amenable to people's situations. So rather than trying to change the facts of an accident or uh, misrepresent themselves in one way or another, they should probably talk to their carriers and communicate with the carriers. Because now is the time, if you have a situation that is a covered loss that you really want to make sure you're accurate with that and work with the carriers and they'll try and find coverages for you. And I know that just from experience that, you know, that in these times of catastrophes or um, disasters, it's it's better to work with the carriers than misrepresent themselves in other ways.
2: Oh, well, that's for sure. They definitely should. It's, it's whatever the situation. They should definitely reach out to the carriers, to their banks, to their whatever, to talk to them to uh, right away. You know, if you think you can have a problem, talk about that right away. Don't do not wait the situation becomes out of hand
1: right so you know i i know we're running out of time here quickly and i know you and i could probably talk all day about this subject and some of the different things that are are going on in the world today it is a um a very unique time where personal lives and professional lives are colliding and we're trying to figure out how to do um our jobs to the best of our abilities but you know um just, do you, I know you don't have a crystal ball, or how you think this crisis is going to change the way we do business as a fraud fighter or in the insurance industry. But do you have any kind of thoughts or closing thoughts about how where we're going as an industry as a result of this um, crisis?
2: Well, I think it makes um, it does make people look a little differently in how they're having to to work, like you said, um, being able to balance their their family needs, their personal needs, Um, but at the same time, we still, as you said, we still have a job to do, and from my perspective at the, you know, Insurance Front Bureau of Massachusetts, we're still working and aggressively still working. Um, You may get a little bit of, you know, when I use that analogy of marathon, you may be a little bit ahead at uh, mile five. But you still have a long ways to go uh, to get to that finish line. So we will, we'll be on, you know, on the scammers' tails uh, very quickly. This is just probably a bump in the road, but we're going to continue to do it and, um, and and work hard and to keep to keep going. It is it is definitely different. This is definitely a different world right now. But I do think it's just a matter of time before we come back out of that and, uh, and get up to uh, get back to a normal, full operational way of doing business.
1: Okay. okay, great. You know, and I know there's things that are going to really change from a technological perspective, speaking from DAE's um, perception here. I think, you know, some technology that's going to automate things, you know, the social distancing and identifying suspicious activity or suspicious behavior or even deceptive behavior in um, some of the climate that technology is really going to help us um, move forward over and this might even be the kind of um, thing that pushes us to a new level of technology innovation. I think, you know, that working with the technology to fight fraud is probably going to be, we're going to work a lot closer together than we have in the past, I think.
2: Oh, I agree. I think that that, Mm -hmm. even in our own little world of Massachusetts, we've seen that very quickly, being able to to do a lot of stuff virtually or through, you know, technology, um, and how quickly we were able to ramp up. To get people working from home and accessing to all kinds of information that way is, is uh, it, it actually could have some significant benefits down the road and able to, uh, for everybody to share information and be more aggressive on their investigations, that's for sure.
1: Yeah. Okay, great, Tony. Really appreciate your time today. I think it's been very insightful. You know, it's really good to hear that Massachusetts um, has a very unique situation with the Insurance Fraud Bureau and the relationships with prosecutors, law enforcement, and the insurance industry. And I think some of the things that you're doing are are very um, forward-thinking and um, leading the way that the rest of the fraud industry world is going to um, follow or if they haven't started today, we'll probably in the future. So really appreciate your time.
0: Um, again, just echoing Dennis's thoughts, you know, it was fascinating to hear from you, especially at this, this uh, pretty unique time. I think there's going to be a lot of, a lot of uh, thoughts going around from various, uh, various people. But I think one thing that seems to be um, uh, being echoed by everyone is that there's a lot of unknowns, but at some point we'll get through this. And as you pointed out, you know, it is a marathon not a sprint uh, and once we do come out the other end i think there are going to be some really interesting learnings from this but also uh you know the backlog like you said will be caught up and if you're going to do bad things you're going to get caught right
2: that that is that is for sure you definitely will be you will be caught and and if i could i really want to uh, thank uh, both of you paul and dennis for this opportunity uh for me to uh to partake in this podcast with you gentlemen it's uh definitely been a, a pleasure and an honor to to do this with the both of you and uh and especially thank you to BAE systems for uh for allowing me to partake in this thank you very much
0: thank you yeah. um so dennis tony thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us today uh, obviously uh, stay in your homes and stay safe. I think it's probably the, the resounding message that everyone's giving today. Um, but thank you again. Uh, and to all listeners at home, uh, take care. Uh, if you want to subscribe to the Intelligence Download, uh, simply go to your favorite podcast app and hit subscribe. Um, and we'll see you very soon.